Good morning. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, beginning with verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
you shall call his name Jesus. The etymology of names, the study of where names came from, uh, can be very interesting, even enlightening. Our surnames today have all but lost their meanings. Many of us don't even know, maybe, what our last name means or where it came from. They used to say something about a person. Uh, for example, uh, if your name was Smith, then you would have been part of the smithy in that village or town or something like that. Maybe it's yours, maybe it's your father's, maybe uh, if, if you're the child there, maybe you're, you're raised helping out there, uh, bringing coal or wood for the fires, uh, working the bellows, um, you learn the trade, you know, beating the iron, heating it up, cooling it down, forming things, you are Smith. What about the name Miller? Okay, that's an easy one. How about Mason? Yeah, working with stone, working with brick. What about Beck? Beck was a baker. Makes sense. Fletcher? Fletcher was a maker of arrows. Vader? as in Darth Vader, Star Wars fame. It's a Dutch origin and it means father. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> oh! Our gospel reading follows immediately after Matthew's uh, genealogy. There, all the last names, all the surnames of all of the uh, parents, grandparents of, of Jesus going way back, all the way. A long list of names that show that he was a descendant of Abraham and also a descendant of David, King David, which is important for the fulfillment of prophecy about the Christ, that he would be an Israelite, uh, an offspring of Abraham, and a descendant of King David. And then Matthew describes the birth of Jesus, as we read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you and I are very familiar with the Christmas story. We hear these words. It fills us with some joy. Uh, we're very glad to hear these words. They warm our hearts. Already we see the baby in Mary's arms. We can picture the the manger scene there, the shepherds on their way into Bethlehem from the hills, the wise men in the east maybe first noticing the star in the sky and deciding to set out. But I think the thrust of Matthew's sentence here is not supposed to engender warm thoughts, but rather, I think, bring us to some alarm. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. And we have to understand that the, the marriage um, ceremonies and the way that everything took place back then was much different than the way that we do it today. The betrothal itself, uh, kind of like we say somebody's engaged, right? It's kind of promised to each other. The betrothal in that day was a legal 
joining together. It would have involved a ceremony. It may have, it sometimes involved the, the passing of money, like dowry money, something like that. It was a commitment, but it was a legal joining together. Once the betrothal had begun, it was as though the marriage had begun. And you notice in our reading that Joseph is referred to as the husband. Even before the marriage, he's referred to as the husband. So the couple would continue to live apart until the wedding, and then the, the, uh, the husband, the, the betrothed, man uh, would oftentimes be preparing a home and once that's done the marriage takes place and he comes and he gets his bride, they go, they do the ceremony and then they go to his house. So it's after this betrothal, after this commitment between Mary and Joseph and their families that Mary is found to be with child and this is devastating news for Joseph, devastating news for both families, if she told him what the angel had said to her about this child, he didn't believe it. And because they're legally bound together, this amounts to a charge of adultery against Mary. And Joseph would be within his rights to publicly denounce her to publicly shame her, this would protect his integrity to bring it out into the public. She would suffer the consequence of her adultery and his good name would be protected. But Joseph, Joseph loves Mary very much. And so that's where we read in verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man, which means that he has all of this in mind, being righteous, he wants to do the right thing. He's unwilling to put her to shame, so he resolves to divorce her quietly. He wants to protect Mary and his good name. He's done some hard thinking. If he divorces her quietly, discreetly, he retains his good name, his righteousness in the eyes of the law. So he is trying to do the right thing here. Joseph doesn't see how God is working. He doesn't know what's happening here, what God is doing behind the scenes. He has no special insight into the spiritual realm any more than we do. No reason, no logic that leads him to believe that Mary's child is of the Holy Spirit other than perhaps Mary's words. We're not told that in Scripture, but perhaps Mary told him what the angel had said. I would think so, but it's hard to believe that. And this is a key theme in Matthew's Gospel, that in order for human beings to know, to understand what God is doing, to understand his mind, God has to reveal it. We cannot come to that knowledge by our own reason or strength as we learn in the catechism. And that's what God does. He reveals it. He tells Joseph what he's doing. 
As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We've, we've studied that name before. Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, Jesus in the Greek, combination of two words. The Greek word for salvation and the Greek word for Yahweh. The abbreviation for Yahweh, that's the J-E, Yeshua, Yahweh. Salvation and Yahweh, so Yahweh is salvation is what it means, or Yahweh saves. The angel told, told Joseph also why this baby has to have this name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was a name that fit his vocation, that fit why he was coming into the world, what he was going to be doing. He was coming to save people. So why does a savior need to come to Israel? Israel is God's elect people, God's chosen people. God has made with them a covenant, a contract. They were, in essence, his betrothed. But Israel had been unfaithful, had committed adultery, had rebelled. They had broken that covenant, that betrothal, over and over again. The condition that Israel is in at the time of Jesus' birth is uh, a result of their national sin of adultery, of idolatry. That's why the Romans are there. That's why any nation ever conquered Israel was because of their sin, their national sin, their idolatry. David's throne is not established. Israel is under the domination of foreign kings. But their worst problem is their national sin of not keeping the covenant with God. God would have been within his rights to divorce himself from Israel, to shame them publicly, to send them away to face the consequence of their sin except that God loves his people. And he will not put his betrothed away. Instead, he will redeem them by removing the guilt of their sin. So Jesus, the Christ, healed diseases, cleansed lepers, cast out demons, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, forgave sins and called sinners to repent and to new life. And yet, many in Israel still rejected him. And in the end, ironically, the unrighteous ones put the righteous one to death. Yet we know he gave his life as a ransom to save all that would believe in him. Do you know what a cooper did? Maybe. A cooper built barrels, right? Worked with barrels. But I've known coopers 
that did not build barrels. I've known smiths who did not make horseshoes. But this baby has to be named Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph are told that this is to be his name because this baby, in this baby, through this baby, Yahweh saves. Jesus really lives up to his name. And we know that his mission is to Israel first, right? Matthew records Jesus' words to his disciples as he sends the disciples out. He says, go to the lost sheep. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus himself says at one point that he is sent only to Israel. So where does that leave us then? Because we're not Israelites. We are not descended from Abraham. Is, what's our name? Is our name Mud? How do we fit into this story? Because we're not the covenant people of God. Not the way Israel was. Our ancestors were outsiders uh, for whom idolatry was the norm. We don't come out of the tradition with Israel, with Abraham as our father, but we do share ties with them since we have Adam as our father and are afflicted with the same sin, the same tendency to reject God, of putting ourselves in the place of authority in our lives. And so Jesus' mission does not, cannot ignore the Gentiles. All people are in that same boat, have the same need. All people are lost, just as condemned by our sin. And we see God demonstrating his love even for the Gentiles, for those outside of that covenant relationship with Israel, even in the story of the birth of Jesus, of Yahweh saves. We see the Magi, the wise men we like to call them, they were Gentiles. God led them by a star to worship Jesus, the child. It was a Gentile centurion that so showed such great faith that Jesus says, uh, not even in Israel have I seen such great faith. When, when uh, the centurion says, Jesus, come, he, my, my servant is paralyzed at home. Will you heal? Jesus says, I'll come. He says, no, don't come to the house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Gentile. It was the Canaanite woman that we mentioned earlier where Jesus says, I've only been sent to the sheep of the lost house of Israel. He's talking to the Canaanite woman. And uh, she showed such persistent faith in asking help from this Savior, uh, pressing him, saying, yes, but even... The dogs receive the crumbs from the table. She believed that all people would be blessed through Jesus. And Jesus finally sends out his apostles at the end there, gives them the great commission and says, go and teach and baptize all nations. So the Gentiles were always part of God's plan. Where do we find ourselves in the story of Jesus, well, we are the ones to whom the word has come. 
the word of the apostles, of the ones who witnessed what Jesus did and said and wrote it down and passed it on and taught it to the church. We've received those same words. We've received that same teaching. We are those who have been baptized with the baptism Jesus commanded them to do. Peter confessed, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we are part of that church called the Bride of Christ, right? We are betrothed to Him. And He has gone to prepare a place for us. There are so many parallels in the story of the birth of Jesus. Just in those few sentences there in Matthew. Parallels to the whole Christian church and what's going on here. Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's going to come back and get us and take us to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And God, like Joseph, he would have been within his rights to divorce us, to put us away forever. Mary was innocent of the adultery, but we are not innocent. We are guilty. But God in Jesus, our Savior, has removed the shame and the guilt of our sin and has purified us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus, so that God could remain just and righteous and at the same time unite himself to us and give us a new name. And you and I, who were once named sinner, enemy of God, and condemned, we've been given new names, redeemed, bought back from death and hell. Saint, holy and pure by the blood of Christ. Child of God. See, if Vader is your father, it's no. But if God is your father, it's yes. Hope and peace and joy. And as part of the church on earth, our name is also Bride of Christ. Betrothed to our Savior. Bound to him, not by money, not by contract, but by the very blood of the bridegroom, the one whose name is Yahweh saves. And in this Advent season, we look forward to that day when our bridegroom will return. And we echo the Apostle John as he says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And until that day, we spread the good news that the Savior is born and we join the saints of every time and every place and sing our thankful praises to our loving Savior and our saving God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.